Hello, this is Joel Johnson with another Rainmaker podcast. We have a very special guest today, Ann Vanderslice, who hails out of the Denver area and has been in the Rainmaker group since the beginning. And I'm really excited to talk to her. Before we get going, just a quick reminder that anything that you hear here today, if you implement it with clients, run it by your compliance people. Myself, Ann, or Advisors Excel are not responsible for you doing something you shouldn't do. So, so keep that in mind. With that said, what we're trying to do, obviously, if you've been listening for the last uh, few weeks, is bring you as many advisors as we can from the Rainmaker Group that have seen significant growth and also have a unique business model or some kind of a unique marketing niche uh, to you so we can all be thinking in what has been, for some of us, uh, a down year and for some of us kind of a flat year so we can be thinking about, well, what kind of adjustments should we make, if any, going into 2020? So I have with me my good friend, and uh, Rainmaker Group member, Ann Vanderslice. We also, Ann and I also frequent some other groups together, so we run into each other outside of the Advisors Excel family. And so, Ann, welcome. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm excited to have you here. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the, the metamorphosis of your business. And let's start by how you got into this business. How exactly and when was it that you got into the business? So I worked in corporate America for about 20 years. I worked for executives. I worked in the C-suite. And um, when the company I worked for filed bankruptcy, I decided I was done working for CEOs. And so I completely shifted gears and I started selling long-term care insurance for General Electric. So you can imagine that if you haven't ever sold anything before, you should try to pick something that's really difficult to sell like long-term care insurance. Um, and so that's Make, where I got makes my start. Perfect, it just, that just makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, challenging. And I never really had this dream or this desire to own my business. I wasn't one of those people who always wanted to be a business owner. I just sort of fell into it. I had worked for entrepreneurs, and so I had been around it and been exposed to it. And so when I had the opportunity to move from long-term care into financial planning, specifically for federal employees, that was in 2002. Is that when you formed your formal company, or were you still sort of working on your own in 2002? That's when I formed my company was in 2002. Okay. And you were in the Denver area at that time, correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. So going back, so 2002, let's fast forward to, let's say, 2014. So we're going back about five years here. What exactly did your business look like from an employee standpoint, number of offices, marketing focus? So we had um, one office and about four employees, four full-time employees and maybe two part-time employees and we were writing about half the amount of business we are writing today. So when I look at that, when I think back about those numbers, which sometimes we don't do, we don't think back, um, everything was about half. The office was about half the size, we had about half the number of employees, and we were writing about half the amount of business. Was your focus the veterans market back then or federal employees market? Yes, so my focus has been federal employees since 2002. Okay, great. And we'll, we'll come back and talk about that because I think that's important. You have a niche that uh, 
that many of us should be thinking about, not necessarily your niche, because that would be foolish, because it won't be a niche if everybody's, <laughs> if everybody's <laughs> focusing on it. But, but what, what type of niches should the rest, it's kind of what I wanted to get here uh, to and later on, but just going back for a minute to what's happened in the last five years, what are the main factors that contributed to basically your doubling by many measurements in your business over the last five years? I really think the foundation of all of it is coaching. So I've always invested as much as I could in training or coaching. And I was in strategic coach from 2007 to 2009, but I could never really manage that entrepreneurial time system. I was still always on a focus day or a buffer day. There weren't any free days. And so I came back to strategic coach in 2017. And when I went back and looked at what I was doing in 2009, I had 10x my business, which is the goal of strategic coach. So some of that was strategic coach concepts, but a lot of it I attribute to Rainmaker because really from being in that group and especially from you, I have to give you a lot of credit for the importance of just measuring everything, the importance of metrics and understanding your own P&L and what those ratios or proportions should be. So I will tell you an embarrassing story, but if we're looking five years ago, I was kind of flying by the seat of my pants and I would just look in the bank and I'd go, well, I have money. I guess I'm doing okay. (laughs) So when I started measuring things, that's when we really saw a change. So what do you measure today? What are your kind of key, I know you measure a lot of different things, but what are the key things you look at on a weekly or monthly basis so that you know that you're going to be in good shape three months, six months, a year from now? The most important thing for us is how many classes we have scheduled for the future, because we know if those classes are on the schedule and I go deliver them, we've got prospects. We have plenty of prospects if we go do that. And it's a little different than most advisors because I'm not sending out a mailer and hoping I get attendees. All of our classes come from people, federal agencies who contact us and say, hey, we'd like to do a class. Do you have a date open? So I'm always looking into the future and saying, all right, do we have enough classes scheduled? And when these federal agencies contact you in, like, how do they know about you? Uh, how, How have they heard about you? Well, that is the great thing about having done this for 17 years. It is all word of mouth. I don't do any marketing. Um, I've just taught so many classes over the years that agencies call me. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was in Washington, D.C. teaching a class for the Forest Service. I've taught for the Forest Service in Fort Collins, Colorado for many years, and they referred me to their headquarters in D.C., and that's how they got my name. Well, that's exciting. Wow. So how many employees, how many people work in D.C. for the Forest Service? It's got to be a few thousand, right? Right. There's a few thousand. In this particular division, there were about 300, and we had about 40 in the class. That's great. You know, there's another gentleman in Rainmaker named Mike Martinez, and he has done the same thing with Honda employees and, um, you know, just had a, a massive amount of success. So... One of the things I wanted to get here uh, to here, Ann, is this concept of just going really deep within a company, within a certain type of employees, maybe within a union. 
within a religious organization. So how did you decide to focus on that? And what were some of the difficulties that came up after you decided to sort of break through the the resistance that I think most of us imagine would be there typically trying to break into a company or a group of employees? Right. Um, well, in 2002, federal employees sort of fell in my lap. I was selling long-term care insurance for General Electric, and the federal government rolled out a group long-term care plan to their employees. And federal agencies approached me. They just found my name somehow. They approached me and said, hey, could you do a workshop for our employees on long-term care? They didn't ask the provider. They were looking for an independent person who could come in and do that. And so I did that during open season in 2002. And at the end of open season, those same agencies came back to me and they said, man, you have a knack for explaining this. You should learn all of our benefits. I remember thinking at the time, oh, that would be easy. How hard can it be? (laughs) (laughs) It's a good thing you don't know what you don't know. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so So I dove in to, there was a training program, a six-month program that was basically the same program that you would take if you got hired into HR in the federal government. And I took that program. And then I just went out and I started saying, hey, I know about your benefits. Would you like me to teach a class? Um, And I started just, I built an email list was the first thing I did of federal employees. And I started emailing them with what I thought was valuable information that they might have missed. So uh, let me ask a couple questions here. So one is you, you chose a market based on sort of a coincidental fluke phone call, right? Just out of the blue, something happens and you recognized an opportunity. Obviously, if somebody's calling and saying, hey, can you can you teach this to this group of people? Did it did it immediately occur to you that this was a huge market and you could just ignore all these other markets and work on this for the rest of your life because of the abundance of prospects? Or did you not quite see the opportunity as big as it was right in the in the beginning? I saw the opportunity because I had the ability to look and figure out that there were 40,000 federal employees in Colorado. So that was a huge market right there. And then there were 2.6 million federal employees in the United States. So I recognized it right away. My colleagues at the time discouraged me from doing it. They said, you don't want to work with federal employees. They don't have any money. They're boring. They, they discouraged me from doing it, but I recognized that there was an opportunity there. Yeah, and there's a lesson in what you just said, right? Anytime other people in the business are saying you don't want to work with those people, there's probably a massive opportunity. You know, think about, you know, this joke in our business of, oh, yeah, you don't want to work with engineers. It's too hard to work with engineers. Great. So you've got tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people across America that nobody wants to work with. And, and that sounds like what happened with the federal employees. And 40,000 in one state, if you can be an expert in their benefits and so on, that's phenomenal. We were doing a sales meeting a week or two ago, and, and I was kind of getting on everybody here because our two biggest groups of clients are people that work for United Technologies, which is a massive worldwide company, a member of the Dow 30, and the state of Connecticut. And I said, how many of you know the benefits program? for state employees or for United Technologies. And two people raised their hand out of 12. I said, how can you not know that? How can you not know 
uh, out of our biggest group of clients or biggest two groups of clients, everything in and out about all the benefits. You should know that because most people don't know it. And if you know that, people are going to feel very comfortable right away. And they're also going to just sort of put two and two together without you saying it that, hey, this person is an expert in my company and they probably know a lot of other people in the company. So um, kudos to you for, for recognizing that. How many other people, I know there's these big organizations, there's like first, what is it, first alert benefits or first something? First command. Like first command. And then I think there's, well, there's USAA, which probably everybody's familiar with. But how many big giant companies like USAA, how big, first command's not really that big, right? They're like an insurance agency sort of, or is that incorrect? Well, and they have an investment arm, um, but they, both of those mostly focus on the military. They're okay. not focusing on federal employees, which is two different systems. Sure. Okay. And so who else focuses on all federal employees? Are there any big companies? No. Interesting. Um, huh. Okay. So, so tell us more. So you've built up this momentum. You said something I th- think is also key is you started building an email list. Did you start building an email list back in, when did you start working with the federal employees? 2002. So did you have the foresight to start building a list back then? I did. Wow. So you must have one heck of a list now. We have a great list. We have about 10,000 names on a Colorado list and another 3,600 on a national list. So what do you do to um, keep those prospects soft so when the timing is right, they know to call Anne? So they get um, a monthly email newsletter that is focused just on federal benefits. And it has the only personalized thing that I do, somebody else writes it, but the only personalized thing I do is from Ann's desk. And I just talk about some topic, either someplace I've traveled or some unique federal employee I've run into or a national park I've been to. I just make a connection with them that says she really gets us. So they get that every month. And then if they're on the local list, they get invited to two events a month. One is a breakfast club, which is a one hour, just a bite-sized topic about federal benefits or a lunch and learn, which is a one hour session on something not necessarily related to federal benefits, but might be on social security, might be on Medicare, might be on estate planning. I might bring in a speaker from the outside to talk about those kinds of issues. And it's amazing to me that from those invitations, we always get a few appointments. We always get someone who, not after the event, but when we send the invitation, we get an email response that says, oh, your email reminded me that I've been meaning to come in and schedule an appointment. Can you have somebody contact me? So if I was going to, do, let's pretend I lived in, well, let's pretend I live here in Connecticut. And okay. we've got this massive company called United Technologies, which up until just recently was a Sikorsky helicopter, Carrier, uh, the air conditioning people, Otis Elevator, Pratt Whitney Aircraft, Hamilton Sunstrand, Stun, which is... Uh, uh, aerospace, 
and this is the headquarters, so obviously there's employees all over the world. And let's say I was just starting from scratch, not in the business, but starting from scratch, penetrating this company. What would be the steps that I need to take, knowing that it's not going to happen in 90 days, but what would be the steps I need to take if I wanted to say, I want to be the person, I want to be the firm that is just the top of mind expert and the go-to person for every one of those employees and have the employees think that? I would create an email list for those employees and the first, so you're going to, you can figure out the syntax and it's going to be at unitedtechnologies.com, right? Yep. And the first- Actually, actually let me back. It, it actually isn't. <laughs> it, it's going to be at unitedtechnologies.com for the people that are like the corporate headquarters people. But then I think the different divisions have their own. So, so you're right. I think we're going in the same place. But like, for instance, Otis Elevator, I'm pretty sure they have at Otis elevator.com. So that's just like what I did. So, you okay. know, I'm at usda.com or at epa.com. Everybody and everybody has a little different syntax, but you're figuring out what that is and you're building this list. And then Wait, but where does the first person on the list come from? Cuz you know, you can buy, you know, this is where you guys need to pay attention to your compliance department. You can buy the email directory for companies from sometimes fairly nefarious players out there, but you can actually buy that. I'm assuming that that's not the right way to go about it, Ann. Or, or well, would it be? Uh, that's where I would start. So I okay. would either build it myself by going onto their website and figuring out, and then I would just build it out of their employee directory. That's how I started. I built okay. it out of the employee directory, for example, on EPA's website. And then I did this. The first email that I sent to them, I said, your email has been shared with me as someone who's interested in staying informed about your benefits with your employer. If you are no longer interested in receiving this newsletter, simply click to opt out and you won't hear from us again. And almost no one opts out. So I gave them the chance to opt out, and they don't. So does that protect you then from getting a letter from corporate saying, hey, you shouldn't be blast emailing our people? It probably doesn't protect you from that, but you're, I think it leaves you with some credibility that says, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to email people who don't want it. I just know more about their benefits than anyone else, and I assume they do want to hear about it. Okay. And, and is, there a, is there a problem with blasting 10,000 emails into a company? Will you get... Well, um, when I first started, I wouldn't do all of them at once. So you can drip them in um, your Infusionsoft or whatever you're using now for that technology will drop them 500 at a time. Okay. And so when you drop them 500 at a time, basically nobody even notices. Now, the other thing I'm thinking, and tell me if this would work. So let's say we have 150 employees that we know work for United Technologies. You could email them and ask them to share the information. Is that, is that effective or is that something people just don't really do? That's absolutely something people do Okay. because Good. they've gotten value from you. And so they absolutely will share that. 
but you might want to start sending them the newsletter so they can look at it and go, oh, I forgot about that. You're, you're just telling them, you're showing them that there might be a forgotten piece in their benefits or something that they're not using effectively. And so this goes right also, back. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You could also ask them to go in and do a program to, to say, look, if, if you want us to come and do a lunch and learn for health benefits, we can do that. So nobody wanted to do a lunch and learn on health benefits because do we make any money on that? No, but are all of a sudden you're an expert on something that they need to know about that nobody else will talk to them about. So all of a sudden they say, well, if you know about that, what else do you know? Interesting. The, um, you know, this goes back to the Dean Jackson, the eight profit activators, right? The first one is choose a niche. And the second one is, I think it's the second one, maybe it's the third one, is systematically educate people until they're ready. And the education needs to be something of value to them. So this is very different than blasting an email to your clients that might work for United Technologies and say, hey, give me five referrals. This is You're creating tremendous value for somebody so that they will want to share it. When I get something interesting in my email – it's pretty. It's a few times a week that if I think it would be valuable to somebody, I send that off. And so, and I'm not really talking to you, Ann. You know this. You know much more about it than I do. But, you know, for those listening, I mean, this is the idea of you don't have to get paid for everything you do. And many times when you do things that it seems like you're not getting paid for, the payoff is huge on the back end because, like you said, Ann, Nobody wants to do that, right? Like nobody wants to talk to – nobody wants to develop a list of landscapers in Connecticut, right? Who, who in our business would do that? Yet if you create value for somebody that's a landscaper, who do they work for? They work for big office companies. They're contracted with – so I'm not saying that's a niche, but, but many times we're very short-sighted in this business. Everybody's trying to go to the country club most of us. I don't even want to be near a country club, but, but, but everybody, you know, people all think, well, you know, like the Merrill Lynch person or the Northwestern Mutual person, I'm going to join the right country club. I'm going to join the yacht club. I'm going to prospect through all those people. Um, I'm going to work in the doctor's market and every other firm in the area has this fantasy about working with those people. So that's fine. You can work with those people and have 10 or 20 or 50 other financial advisors chasing the same person, or you can find a niche that lots of people want to ignore. And this kind of goes back to the concept of, do you want to be Louis Vuitton or Walmart? And there's nothing wrong with being Louis Vuitton, but nobody's paying attention to Walmart in my area. You know, very few people, and I don't mean Walmart, I mean, you know, the Walmart type of families and we love operating in that market. However, we haven't niched like you have and we've kind of said, well, our target market is, you know, 55 to 70, you know, uh, um, self-made people, families and so on and so forth, which is kind of, you know, that's like saying our niche market is pre-retirees and retirees. That's not really a niche. But but you've gone deep and deep into this niche and my my suspicion would be Things can only get better, and if you have a problem, it's probably a capacity problem in being able to deliver to all the people you could deliver the services to. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct. 
So I want to go you, back to something go, yeah, please. you started to say about um, how we get paid. So Joe Polish just had a great article in his newsletter, and I've actually been using this. So people ask you how you get paid, right? Well, right. if someone is talking to a financial advisor, they automatically assume that I only get paid if they become a client. I get paid in dollars. But there are many other ways that I get paid. So I get paid through appreciation. When somebody comes up and says, oh my gosh, I learned something today. I think that's great. I get paid through utilization. When somebody says, I did what you told me to do, I changed the allocation in my TSP, and we know they're gonna be better, that's, a, that's great. We get rewarded with money. Sometimes they become clients. They give us referrals. Your niche is your best referral source. 55% of our business for years has come from referrals. And then you get other opportunities. So I really agree with what you said about every time you try something, you don't have to get paid dollars for it. Yeah, and that's huge. And, you know, you talk about strategic coach. There was a time back in 2000, 2001, and I remember Dan Sullivan, who's for those of you who don't know, is the founder and the main coach there, a strategic coach, he would always say, don't give away your value for free. You know, always charge up front. Well, that philosophy has really changed with Dan and with many of us, and especially in the world of online marketing, which says give away great content and people will be attracted to you. And then when the timing is right, the right amount, the the, the enough business will come your way because you've added a tremendous amount of value first. And and I think this sounds like the, the philosophy you're getting to in. Yes. So, um, so continuing on here. So we talked about five years ago. It sounds like today you have, uh, what, about eight employees. You're doing double the business that you were five years ago. Is that fair to say? Yes. Okay. And how do you – how often do you travel to go to these different events that you teach at? Well – Typical is once a week. Wow. That's pretty pretty typical that I am um, going somewhere that maybe is not in Denver, not even in Colorado, to teach a class. Because I used to do that, and we didn't have great success in conversion. And I figured out that the key was after I taught the class, I stay an extra day. And I run appointments with seven or eight of the people who were in the class. And then those people turn out to be ambassadors and go back to everyone else that was in the class. And they say, oh, my gosh, if you didn't say yes, you wanted an appointment, you should. And if you did say yes, you should keep it because it's a terrific experience. So just that one little tweak has made it so that I can teach anywhere and get clients. And usually you're in the building where people work, so it's not hard for them to have an appointment. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So what happens? So now you ran your appointments. So you did your class on a Monday. You ran all your appointments on a Tuesday. Tuesday night, you fly home. And now there's three or four more people that you didn't get to see because of this word of mouth that happens. How do you help them? Because I'm assuming you don't fly back for four people. No. Well, and the numbers 
like 30 or 40, not three. Um, okay. Wow. And th- those people are all aware that they're going to get a phone call and they're going to be scheduled with one of our advisors. And from that point on, I don't meet with anybody one-on-one. So my advisors are running the first appointment just over the phone and the second appointment on Zoom. Interesting. And is that as successful as the face-to-face? It has been. In the last two years since I started staying the extra day, it has been. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, people are getting used to, especially if they work for a big company, they're getting used to doing the Zoom calls and things like that or Skype. So that's something that we thought about. You know, somebody told me I should be doing eight years ago. Cameron Harold said, just do everything on Zoom. Nobody wants to see you in person anymore. Didn't quite work eight years ago, but I think that that's starting to get more common. And when you're on – different question now. When you're on the campus of the federal building, uh, it sounds like people have a lot of flexibility in their schedule to be able to come back the next day if you're in the company, correct? Correct. What happens if you can't do it inside the company? You've got to do it – do you ever do a class in a hotel ballroom or something like that? Never. Okay. So you just won't do it. That's part of the condition. And so uh, some of us listening to this are thinking, well, United Technologies 3M Boeing, they're never going to let me on their property to do a class. What, What would you say to that? Don't limit yourself. I think they will. I think if you start with a one-hour session that's over the lunch hour and you tell people you bring your lunch and we'll bring dessert and it's a topic that you're just providing education, I think they will let you on their campus. And when you say they, it's typically human resources that are going to make this call. Is that correct? Well, I'm not sure in corporate America. In federal agencies, it is actually not HR. It's actually usually a proactive employee who goes to the administrative officer or to their supervisor and asks permission to do it. Interesting. And so what I'm thinking here is, you know, you figure out a way to add value to the decision maker. So if you're, you know, if I'm trying to get in, again, not to beat the bush here, but to to United Technologies, Whoever's making that call has a problem. If you can help them solve a problem, like if you can help HR not be bombarded with phone calls about, you know, you guys changed the 401k provider, now what do I do? If you can solve that problem or if you can solve the new health insurance problem or you can solve the fact that, you know, they're merging or they're selling Sikorsky to Lockheed or something like that, figure out a way to solve the problem, that is probably your best opportunity to get into a company. So um, correct me if I'm wrong there, Ann. Nope, that sounds perfect. Okay, okay, good, good, good. So if you had to go back when you started in this business, so you're back in 2002, you just decided to, to license with Genworth and start selling long-term care or GE, was it, was it, was it Genworth or Life of Virginia back then? Who, who actually was it? It was actually General Electric. So it okay. was General Electric Financial Services, and they became Genworth long after I became independent. Okay. So when you started with them, if you were to go back and give that person advice about this business, what would it be? The most important I think thing is marketing. So the getting your name and your value out to the marketplace. So early on, I bet on developing that email list, which took time. 
And I bet on the fact that I was delivering a message that they weren't hearing anywhere else. That worked eventually. But if I would have been better at marketing, if I would have known what I know now about how to reach out with marketing and the different ways we have to do that, I think it would have gone much more smoothly and much more quickly. Great. How many advisors do you have? Two associate advisors. Okay. Are, can you, do you keep them 100% busy? 110. Okay. And do they do anything other than see appointments? Like, what does that look like? When they write a piece of business, does it get handed off? Do they process it themselves? The business gets handed off to a new business processor. That new business processor takes it from application to funding, and then it's handed over to client services. The advisor has responsibility for seeing appointments that have been set for them. They don't set their own appointments and annual reviews. So uh, when you become a client, we rank you and all A plus A and B clients get an in-person or over the phone. A lot of times the Bs are over the phone or on Zoom um, annual review with their advisor. The C clients get an annual review with the client services specialist. And for the A clients that you sold in person, let's say you went to, I keep going back to the military, but let's say you went to Pensacola and there's, you know, this massive Navy mm-hmm. base there and you sold a whole bunch of people in person. Do you go back and do those reviews in person when you have a big group like that? So that actually has happened in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I've been going to the Grand Tetons for the last four years and that's the other thing that just solidifies everything. So I go back and I set aside a day to just meet with my clients there and do reviews. And then I'll do a day or two of new appointments. Okay. So you're, you're going back and prospecting again while you do the reviews. Yes. Interesting. Okay. Good, good. So let's go out. Uh, well, actually, let's stay on this for just a minute. So we talked about your before unit, which is, of course, the, the marketing and the niche you've chosen. During, tell us a little bit more about the sales process. Is it is once you get in front of the person, you have the expertise about their benefits, but is it would it be similar to our sales process? You've seen our sales process a number of times. Is, is the process similar or is, is it different? It's a little different for a couple of reasons. Um, what I found out early on is that federal employees are suspicious. They automatically have their guard up because they think you're going to try to sell them something. So I don't try to sell them anything. I am really patient and I usually lay out what their benefits are. They're describing to me what they're trying to accomplish. And we're just saying, did you know, and they might've missed something about their sick leave or they might be in the wrong health plan. So we're just giving them advice about that. And then in the second appointment, we are giving them a snapshot of both their retirement benefits and how their income will be structured for retirement. But remember, we meet with any federal employee. So they could be 25 years old and we're just trying to get them on the right path. They could be 65 years old and way past when they should have already retired. So it's anything in between there. So that idea of, hey, we're going to always try to move money in that second meeting, we're not doing that. 
How do you do the second meeting? So you just left D.C. You, you had some first appointments. How do you do the second meeting? Well, so when I do the meeting, because I've been doing this for a long time, for those eight people that I met with yesterday, I did the first and the second right together. Oh, okay. I ran in reports. I walked through that snapshot with them, and then I PDF'd it, and I emailed it to them. So there's a paradigm shift. So you can actually do a first appointment and a second appointment without leaving the room and coming back a week later and having the client have to reschedule and all this other crazy stuff that happens. Yes. I've never even thought of that. That's amazing. That's great. Um, and the other thing, I don't, I don't think people realize this maybe, or, or some of us don't realize this, or some of the people listening – when you have to know about federal benefits, there isn't one federal benefit program. There's one for the military. Am I right about this? There's one for the military. There's one for the Department of Justice. There's one for there's, – there's differences in the benefits, right? Like my son has TRICARE. Do, does every federal government uh, employee have TRICARE? No. So the military has their own set of benefits. Yeah. Federal employees covered under the Federal Employee Retirement System FERS – all have the same benefits. So if you work for the Department of Justice or the Department of Agriculture, your benefits are the same. If you are a firefighter, law enforcement, or air traffic controller, you have a unique set of benefits. If you work for the FDIC, you have a unique set of benefits. But most federal agencies have the same set of benefits. It's just they're complex. Okay. Okay. But but the retirement system is different depending on how – well, I guess we don't need to get – but the bottom line is you have to be an expert and be able to know on the spot based on how many years of service somebody has, what department they work in, or in the case of the FDIC, it's actually a separate corporation that's like a – what do they call it? A government-sponsored entity or something like that? Right. You have to know right there on the spot exactly what they have. And a lot of the times, you know more than they do. Is that correct? Yes. So so think about this, folks. If you can get into Raytheon or UTC or Texas Instruments, you'll never run out of prospects if you become this person. It's it's impossible to run out of prospects. There was a somebody wrote something a while back about just getting to a thousand clients, a thousand really good clients. Well, you know, I don't know about only a thousand, but a thousand is a pretty good business if you have a thousand clients. But imagine having 40,000 employees in one state or 60,000 employees worldwide. Walmart has 2 million employees, most of them in the U.S. And so this niche thing is huge. And for many of us, where we're starting to lose radio, TV, 10 years from now, I don't know who will watch network affiliate TV. Probably won't be that many. My kids will never watch. The, the only thing they watch on TV is sports, and half the time they're streaming it off of Reddit. You know, some direct mail might dry up. How are you going to be in business 10 years from now? It's going to be referrals, or it's going to be some kind of niche marketing where you're the go-to person. So I think this is great, Ann, that you're getting us to think about this Today, before we move off of, of this subject, is there anything else that, you know, again, you would give the advice to yourself 10 or 15 years ago? What else would you say to that person? Learn those benefits as quickly as you can. So no matter how complex it is, be a student. 
student. Listen to what those people you are meeting with tell you. They'll tell you what it's like to be inside that organization. And then you can start using that language. So the sooner you can start doing that and sounding like them, and they just think, oh, this person's one of us. I can't tell you how often people say to me, are you a federal employee? Uh, no, and I've never been a federal employee, but I sound just like they do. Interesting. And I suppose like with us here, different departments have a different culture. And what I mean by that is, you know, if I talk to somebody from the Hartford Insurance Group, which is a huge employee here in Hartford, go figure, there is a different attitude than people at the Travelers, right? It might be more cynical. It might be more hopeful. Uh, might be very fearful. It might be this attitude of, this used to be a wonderful company to work for, and it's just changed. And so I think picking up on those nuances are very helpful because somebody that's excited about the company is going to work for another 20 years. You better not be talking to them about, you know, you better not be saying disparaging things about the company. If everybody's fleeing and every 55-year-old just can't wait for the next retirement package, you better be tuned into that. So again, it's not just knowing about the benefits. It's knowing about the culture. Like you said, the language and maybe the attitudes, uh, which I guess kind of go with culture. And then what's happening with their friends? You know, this United Technologies and Raytheon merger that's going through right now, people might not get hurt. They might get hurt, but they're all worried about it. They all have this idea of corporate America stomping on the little guy, and every one of them is worried about it, right down to the person that works on the shop floor, all the way up to upper-level management. And so you want to step into that emotion and figure out how you can help people. And be on their side of the table. They want to think that there's somebody on their side. Great point. Great point. So where are you going in the next three to five years, Ann? Well, I just got um, our process trademark. And so I really want to build the Federal Benefits Made Simple brand and um, write a new book called Federal Benefits Made Simple. And my goal is to hire two trainers that would teach that process, this federal benefits made simple so that it's not just me. That You're right. That You mentioned earlier that the constraint is me. You know, I can only teach so many classes. And mm-hmm. I, it's not five days a week, by the way. <laughs> so you, I have to have somebody else who I trust, who will deliver it in the same engaging manner that I think I do so that we have the same success no matter who's teaching those classes. So when you build, obviously that's going to create more prospect flow. Will that prospect flow be directed towards people that are your employees or will you try to build out kind of an independent agency model? I I have looked at the independent agency model. That's where I'd really like to go. I can't figure out how to overcome the complexity of the benefits. So as you can imagine, lots of advisors approach me and say, hey, I want to do what you do. And I'll share everything I have with any AE advisor. I am happy to do that. I still can't pour the benefits into your brain. And you have to make a commitment to learning that so that you can be knowledgeable for anybody that I might send you, any prospect that I might send you. So that's, I think that's the challenge. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I don't know that you can create that 
DNA in a person, uh, it has to be there, right? This, in your case, this desire to learn, this desire to be an expert, because most salespeople are pretty darn lazy. And if they don't have to learn it, they won't learn it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I might have somebody out in California, if I'm an expert at General Motors benefits, representing, maybe not even representing my company, but they're out there in California and they're not doing well at all. And it's because they were too lazy to learn the benefits. So this is one of those things that goes back to uh, something Cameron Harold says, which is hire somebody that's already doing what they want you, what you want them to do. And so tr- bringing that back to what you just said, Ann, to me, that means hire somebody that is a rabid learner that wants to be an expert in an area. Because in my experience, we hire advisors and so on. It's very hard to get somebody to behave differently than they behaved for the last 20 years. And um, that's been the challenge with us building out our organization. We have 40 people now. And I would love to say all of them are A players. And uh, I have to be careful here because my employees are probably going to listen to this. But, you know, most, most of them are, but there's a few that aren't. And sometimes it's not necessarily their fault, but they just aren't. And I think that's the challenge any of us have when we scale this type of a business. We're not building staplers or, you know, selling software or something like that. We're selling something that is a relationship, which means that advisor has to react to what somebody on the other side of the table is saying to them. And that is just as much art as it is the science. And so keep us posted. Yeah, keep us posted on how this goes for you because you may solve a problem that some of us are are really struggling to solve because right now the reason we're not twice the size is a couple things. One is I may be the constraint. Sometimes it's a little overwhelming how successful we've been and I'm kind of trying to, wow, is that just a fluke? But the other side of it is, you know, I don't know how to train more than one or two people at a time and and have them deliver the quality I want them to deliver. So if you figure this out, Ann, bring it back to the group and and let us know because I think it would help a lot of people. Um, Tell us a little bit about your your operations, your back end, what happens once somebody's a client. You said a little bit about the review, but what what do – because I assume – do federal benefits change once somebody's in the system or is it only for new people that they change? Well, things change like prior to September 15th of this year – Federal employees could only make two withdrawals from their thrift savings plan. That's their 401k style plan. They could only make two withdrawals in their lifetime. They now, effective September 15th, can make multiple withdrawals and change the amount of their monthly payment. So that piece of their benefits does change. So you have to be up on all those things that can change and point those out in maybe an annual review where it would be important for the client. But the way that after someone becomes a client, when it gets handed off from new business to client services, that client services person, and we only have one serving 1,500 clients, they are responsible for distributions, required minimum distributions, answering questions about annuity statements. Their job is to insulate the advisor in any way possible from having to answer routine questions so that the advisor can do what they do and sit in front of people. 
Which is huge. It's absolutely huge because think about you know a financial advisor, a salesperson. If they are a salesperson at heart, if they enjoy going out there, helping someone and making them a client, they probably get very impatient or irritated or they just don't want to know about it or it throws them off their game to be taking an incoming phone call about I need to change my beneficiary because you know my son or daughter you know I don't like them anymore or whatever these these kind of things are and so that's long been our philosophy is we want to protect first of all backing up a moment as a CEO you need to have people in place that protect your energy and your confidence and so if you're constantly getting interrupted with problems, that will begin to drag you down mentally even before you even realize it. Well, you have to apply that to your advisors also, which, Ann, sounds like what you're talking about is shielding them, kind of put them in this cone of protection so that they can continue to stay positive. Because, again, the true salesperson is quite an emotional person. And you get them sidetracked or you have, you know, for instance, you have a case reverse. Yeah, like you, we all get that phone call on Monday morning. Oh, I changed my mind, put everything on hold. You want to protect them. If that happens two or three times in a day, you could have wiped out a week of productivity for somebody. And so protecting the advisor's confidence and energy is huge. And that's certainly what we've found in our business. And then if they don't have enough time, well, then give them more appointments. It's not, it's not like, oh, they don't have, you know, they, they, I don't mean if they have too much time on their hand. If they, don't, if they have too much time on their hands, give them more appointments. Don't give them more work in areas that are just going to be horrible for them to work in. Right. So, so our, that, that go, client go ahead, services please. position is really busy. And I think that... Just from talking to other Rainmaker advisors, what I hear is that it's pretty remarkable to do the amount of new business that we do with one new business processor and to have 1,500 clients that get serviced by one client services specialist. And they do a great job. Both of those people in that position, they are rock stars. And it's interesting that they don't want help. They, I'll say, do we need to bring in a part-time person? No, they don't want anybody else messing in their position. I'm just amazed they can handle that many clients. I'm just trying to figure out, like, how does that happen? So we have 3,600 households. Some of them bought a policy 10 years ago, and they're just not, they're not really clients. And we have one, two, three, four, five customer service slash new business people. So how do you, why is my ratio two and a half to your one? I, I'm not sure. I just think that when I say, you know, I think maybe, because they often don't even say they're overwhelmed. Probably once a quarter, one or the other of them, the new business specialist or the client services specialist will say, oh, I'm feeling a little overwhelmed. I've got all the, you know, these things, I'm juggling all these plates. Um, and then at the next weekly meeting, I'll say, okay, how's everything going? I got it. I got it under control. I'm good. And when I say, do we need to bring someone else on? Again, they're very, they know what they're doing. They like their role and their position and having ownership of it. And they think that when you add another person to the equation, it throws off the balance. Do you think that working in such a tight niche helps you um helps those people process more of the questions they get and so on because there's only one 
area that they have to keep track of? Does that help or am I getting a wrong impression there? I think it helps that we, our planning is 80% of what we do is exactly the same. We leave part of the money in the TSP for retirement income. We move a five-year bucket out and we use a fixed indexed annuity with an income rider for the long-term bucket. So they're not having to think about, oh, what does this person own or why do they own it? Our process is the same. Got it. Makes sense. So um, what else should, should we share? This this has been awesome, by the way. Um, this is going to help a lot of people, and I really appreciate your wisdom here, and I appreciate the contribution you have in the Rainmaker Group. I know people have told me, boy, and you know, this niche thing that she's doing is just great, and how can we do that? What else, what else, what other wisdom would you like to leave us or comments or anything like that before we wrap up here? Maybe just a couple things about when you said, um, how can you run a first and a second appointment all together? Well, you got to be really efficient, right? But that's just one example of what are you doing today that you think, oh, I couldn't change that, that could be changed, that could be streamlined, and actually maybe makes it a better experience for the client. Because if you think about that one hour that I spent with those eight people yesterday, they have my full focus and attention. And they leave there with this report telling them something they never dreamed they could have in one report, that they understand what they're doing, where they're going, whether they are on the right track or they're not, exactly what two or three changes they might make, and they did it in an hour. How valuable is that? Well, what else are we doing where we go, oh, it, it takes this amount of time or we have to do it this process that we could streamline and make better? Great. Anything else? I think that's it. Let, let me ask you one question about that two appointments in one sitting. So you said you're not doing business are you doing business during that one hour first appointment, second appointment session? No, but I've set it up to do business. So if, okay. if you were a person who had money in the TSP, you were 59 and a half, and I've showed you this strategy, I would say in order to move forward, we need to move this first piece. And to be able to do that, of course, I don't have time to do that today, but we can send you the paperwork. I will follow up and have my appointment scheduler get you on my calendar to make that happen. Okay, good. And they're either going to say, sure, or they're going to say, well, hold on. Um, right. Right? Right. Do you think being a federal employee that they are more inclined to take instruction? Yes, <laughs> that's definitely okay. true. They want I'm, I'm thinking, to I'm thinking of the military. Do. What's that? They want someone to tell them what to yeah. do. Yeah, I, I mean, think of the, I'm thinking of the military and all the all the things my son is learning being in charge of these 44 guys. One of them is that half his job is keeping them out of jail on the weekend. But mm-hmm. the the other is they they do. I mean, even him. You know, he wants his captain to tell him as a lieutenant what to do. The captain wants the major to tell them what to do. And I don't think we realize, I say this to my guys here all the time, and, and we have, we. by the way, and we finally have a female financial advisor. I'm so excited. 
I'm, I am excited. I, I can't tell you how excited I am and how hard it's been. Um, but anyway, so I, I got to stop saying my guys. But I'm, I'm saying all the time, people want to be led. They want to be told what to do. You can't give them three choices. And think about the last time you had somebody come and do a project on your house or you, do, you went to the doctor for a medical situation. I was at the doctor this morning, the knee guy. And he says, here's what I want you to do. He doesn't say, well, here's the three things you could do. Which one do you want to do? Or I'll get back to you in a week. He says, this is what you need to do. And while he's telling me, he's writing out instruction for me to go and take to the next person I'm going to see. And I think we underestimate how much people want that. And especially if you're working in a niche where people are used to that. And just because you won't buy that way doesn't mean a lot of other people will buy that way. So it's kind of the same thing when somebody has trouble with, you know, if one of your advisor has trouble with fees or they would never make a decision on a second appointment and so on. Well, that doesn't mean that most of their prospects won't. In fact, you might be making it a lot easier to do business with you, probably are, by leading people and getting them to take a step that they're not going to take on their own. So so thank you for saying that, Anne. Anything else? I think that's it. Well, thank you very much, Ann. It's, it's been great to get to know you. I appreciate you being in our group um, for the last five years. You've been in from day one, right? I have. Yeah, so thank you. And I know you've helped a lot of people in the group. And um, I appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast. And um, that's it. Have a great day. And folks out there in podcast land, um, have a wonderful day. As always, if you have comments or questions, um, you know, email them over. Um, don't barrage Ann with a bunch of emails like, you know, how do I build my first list and so on. Just filter them through uh, Brianna here, and then um, we'll help you in any way we can, but we want to protect Ann's time. So thanks, Ann. You are very welcome. My pleasure. 